know Jesus Christ as Lord. And Lord, we walk forward in faith knowing that you are the God who continues to go with us. That's our prayer. Be with us as we go. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus 33, over the next few weeks leading up to Easter, dun, da, 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 we will be closing out our time in Exodus. And all God's people said, all right, you've enjoyed it. Oh, that's good. I'm glad you, we'll just go back to the beginning. We'll start over. Right? It's like, well, next is Leviticus. So there's that to look forward to. Okay. Um, but we've been closing out our series in Exodus. And uh, many of you have already covered the, the next few chapters. You've covered it if you've been doing that annual Bible reading, because you've been doing your annual Bible reading, right? And as you do your annual Bible reading, you've already covered the next few chapters. You probably noticed a lot of repetition, right? Because up to this point at Mount Sinai, God has already given his law. He's already put them on tablets. He's already given the rules and the directions for building the tabernacle. And now God is going to reiterate all of that. We're going to see him reiterate his law and his covenant. And then he's going to come and Actually, we're going to see Moses instruct the people on how to build the tabernacle. And we're going to read verse after verse of God said it. God said to do it this way, and they did it that way. God said to do it this way, and they did it this way. And I want to first encourage you, don't grow weary in your Bible reading. There is life in these verses and in these chapters. This is the word of God. I also want to encourage you that there's a lot to learn from these chapters because the more we learn about God and the more we learn about what our response is and what our role is in his plan, the more we're transformed and changed, the more we find our place in this story of redemption. So keep plodding along if that's what it takes. Keep working through it. And we're going to see as we don't grow weary, we're going to continue on in this story of redemption. It's our story. It's God's story of how he is redeeming a people and how he's redeemed us. So don't grow weary There's more that God has revealed, and I believe that it will show us how we live as the people of God. So today what I want to do is I want to start here in chapter 33 with verse 12. We're going to look at verse 30, chapter 33 and a little bit of chapter 34 at a bold request made by Moses. He's meeting with God in the tent of meeting. Remember that God came down in the cloud. That's what we talked about. God has already told his people that that he's not going to go with them. And the people are now mourning and they're repentant. But God is still meeting with Moses, this mediator and this, this person who is really there interceding on behalf of the people. He's, he's saying, God, we, we need you. And here in this meeting where God is speaking to Moses, his friend or friend, we get a little insight into what that conversation looks like. And in that conversation, Moses makes a bold request of God and God responds in grace and mercy. And that's what we want to look at today. So beginning with verse 12, it says this, Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Verse 13. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. He says, if I've gotten grace from you, show me more of you so that I can get more grace. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, God said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. That seems like good news, but Moses understands that to be God's presence is just going with him. Moses comes back in verse 15 and he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. He's also concerned about God's presence going with the people, not just blessing on his own life, but blessing for the people. 
For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, my covenant name, Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. So come up the mountain, and while my glory passes by, I'm going to put you in that cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And anybody who's spent uh, years and years in church, you're now singing in your head the cleft of the rock, right? Well, guess what? We're going to sing it later. I told you there was a third hymn, and it fit perfectly, right? Now cover you there with my hand until I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. God is going to protect Moses from his glory and his holiness as he comes by. There's a bold request here, isn't it? And the request is this, show me your glory. That's a, that's a big request of God. Show me your glory. And first what I want you to see is the heart behind this request. God has said he wasn't going to go with the people. And now God is speaking to his chosen mediator, Moses, as friends. And God in his grace has befriended Moses. He, he's shown favor to Moses. He knows him by name, he says. See even how Moses is constantly asking if, if you're pleased with me, if I found favor with you. He wants to make sure he's standing in the grace of God. He, he wants the people to know that God is pleased with him. That seems like a pretty selfish Request, right? Like, show me your glory. I want people to know that you're pleased with me, that I've found favor in your sight, that you've put grace upon me. But I don't think it's self-centered. It's actually the opposite when you see the context. Moses understood that he was the mediator between God and the people. And if God wasn't pleased with him, he would never be pleased with the people. If God wasn't speaking to him, he was never going to speak to the people. He understood that he was the conduit of grace to the people, that he would be the voice that would tell the people what God has said. And the mercy and the grace that was shown to Moses was the mercy and grace that would be shown to the people. It would show the people that God was still their God and he was with them. Even as the people were in their sin, God would come and meet with Moses and it would show the people. Remember what their reaction was every time God showed up? They would worship. They would remember that God is with them. So God's presence with Moses would show the people that God is still their God. Next week, Kenny's going to unpack more of this idea, what the role of this intercessor, this mediator is, what our role is as we stand between God and the world, God and his holiness and his perfection and his glory, what the role is of God's people in pleading on behalf of himself and the people. Next week, we'll look more closely at what that intercession is and how it works. But for today... Today, I want you to see the heart cry behind all of this intercession and mediation. This show me your glory. What's the heart cry behind it? The heart cry of Moses is for the presence of God. He starts in verse 12. He wants to know what angel was going with them. He's like, you said, you know, it's my name and you're sending an angel ahead of us to lead us. I want to know who's leading. Because originally, God, you were saying you were going with us. I want to know who's leading us. 
I'm not going to just trust any messenger. I want to know who's leading us. He goes on to say in verse 13 that he wants to know the ways of God. Show me your ways so that I'll know I'm in your grace, so that I know I have favor. He wants to know the reasoning and the heartbeat behind God's plan. Moses is in a, in a place where he doesn't have a written word from God that he can know the plans of God. He can know the purposes of God. And he wants to know from God, show me your ways. And then in verses 15 and 16, he even says, don't leave us here if you aren't going with us. Verse 15, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? See, what Moses had come to terms with and come to know was this God's presence marks out God's people as holy and his God's presence is what marks us out as holy and set apart God's presence is what marks us out as belonging to God God's presence makes God's people distinct from every other people on earth. That's what he says, right? How will they know? How will they know unless you go with us that we are different than all the other peoples of the earth? Is it not that you're with us? He says in verse 16 that we're different, distinct from every other people on the face of the earth. God's presence makes God's people distinct from every other people on earth. But God's presence is also the real sign of God's favor and grace. It's not blessing. It's his presence. We, we said this last week. This is what we had to go into a little bit last week. Last week it was raining and we said what? The rain falls on the just and the unjust. It's a blessing from God on the just and the unjust. Today the sun is shining. It's shining on the just and the unjust. It's a blessing from God. So you can't say that blessings per se are the way God primarily shows his grace and favor upon his people. I can't look at the blessings in my life and say, well, obviously God is pleased with me. Because there are plenty of people who have a lot of blessings in this world that are far from God. So blessing itself can't be the key to what marks us out as the people of God. No, what does Moses say? If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. How shall it be known that we have grace, that I found favor in your sight I and your people, is it not with you going with us? Is it not your presence that will show everybody that we have the grace of God? It's not blessing, but his presence. And so Moses, because his desire is for the presence of God, for the gracious, empowering, glorious presence of God, Moses requests this bold request. I want to see your glory. Please show me your glory. Once again, this seems like an odd request, though, from Moses, of all people. Because of all people, Moses has seen the glory of God. He's already caught glimpses of God's glory, hasn't he? I don't know about you, but if I'm out tending my sheep, and I see a bush burning that's not burning up, and I walk up to it, and the bush starts talking to me, and says, take off your sandals, you're on holy ground, and begins to reveal to me that he is the Lord... And I get to know the covenant name of God from the, I've already glimpsed your glory. And then I go to Egypt and in Egypt, it's just plague after plague after plague of your power and your glory. I've glimpsed your glory. I stood at the Red Sea and watched you part the Red Sea. I've glimpsed your glory. In chapter 24 
Moses and his 70 elders walk up the mountain and they actually see the pavement of heaven and the glory of God. They've glimpsed his glory. Moses has walked into the cloud of the presence of God. God has come down and met with Moses in the tent of meeting. He's glimpsed the glory of God. So what is Moses asking for here? What more could you want? In some ways, you want to look at Moses and go, don't be greedy, dude, right? You've seen the glory of God spread the wealth. But what he understands is this. He understands that he really has not seen the full brilliance of God's glory. Why? Because you can't dive to the depths of God's glory. There's no end to God's glory. His glory is eternal. It is unfathomable. Whatever you've experienced is just a piece. Isn't this the picture that God even gives us of his own glory? Look, I'll pass by you. I want to see your glory. Okay, you get to see my backside. You can't handle all of it. It's too much for you. So I'll show you part. What, what is he asking for here? Well, Phil Riken puts it this way. Moses wanted a full revelation of God's glory, a visible display of the essential quality of his being. Moses wanted a visible manifestation of God's essential quality. He wanted to know, what are you like? You're glorious. I want to know what that means. I want to see it. So now I want you to see what God's response is. What a merciful, gracious response from God. Look at verse 19. God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy mercy. God says, okay, I'll show you my glory. But look how he defines his glory. Why why would he want to do this? Well, he wants to show his glory to his people. The desire of God is to display his glory to and through his people. He wants us to see his glory. And God says just this in Exodus chapter 34, verse 10. Look, just look down at verse 10 of chapter 34. He makes this promise to the people. Behold, I am making a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. Now, wait just a second. This is the same nation and the same people that saw him do what he did to Egypt and that he parted the Red Sea. And he provided for them in the wilderness. And he showed up on a mountain and he says, you ain't seen nothing yet. I will do even greater than this and all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. So let's look again at at what God says about himself here. And then what we're going to do is do we see in this passage what God says about himself and that he's going to do that we're going to go over to chapter 34 and see him actually do it. Okay, so we're going to see God's promise and then we're going to see him actually do it. So look at verse 21. Look at how God is going to do this and protect him. The Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, when my glory shows up and passes by, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I pass by. You can't handle everything. I'm only going to show you what you can handle and what you need. Verse 23, then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not see. So see here what God is doing. God wants to be known. He wants his glory to be seen. He understands Moses can't handle everything. If we were to see the whole glory of God, he would die on the spot. So what does God reveal? What does God promise to reveal about himself when he shows up? 
so that Moses knows the glory of God. First, God shows his glory to demonstrate his goodness. What did he say? Okay, Moses says, show me your glory. God says, I will cause all my goodness to pass before you. That's his answer. His answer to Moses' request of show me your glory is I will make my goodness pass before you. It's not going to be some, some great bright light shining before Moses. God is going to show his goodness. This is the grace and the mercy of God. If God were to show up in all of his glory before sinful people, well, he even says that you can't see him and live. You will die. So God instead, by his mercy and grace, this act of love and generosity shows his goodness to Moses. God shows his glory to remind his people of his covenant relationship to us. Look at what he says next. He says, I will show up in all my in all of my goodness and then I will proclaim my name, the Lord. He doesn't just promise to show up. He's not there to hang out. But he's going to declare to proclaim his covenant name, the Lord. This is the name Yahweh that was first given to Moses there at the burning bush. And he's saying, remind you, let me remind you that I've made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You are my covenant people. And I'm the one who holds this covenant together. I'm the covenant maker and the covenant keeper. He's reminding us that it's by grace. He's reminding Moses that Moses is only standing before God is grace. You once were a people, now you are a people. You weren't a nation, now you're a nation. And it's all by my grace. God shows his glory to reveal his sovereignty and salvation. Look at what he says next. After reminding Moses of his covenant name, he says it's he alone that determines who and how grace and mercy are distributed. What, what does he say? I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. This is, a, this is an act of God's sovereignty. Think, think, think for just a second. God is saying sovereignly here that he's the one who can put out grace and mercy. No one else determines how that works. You can go on to the blank slide if you want to next. Once salvation is determined by our goodness... So think about that for a second. If salvation is determined by our goodness, not by God's goodness, then how is it salvation? If it's determined how, by how we, good we are versus how good God is, then we're not being saved by anyone, right? But we go a step further than that. If we're good enough to save ourselves, then why would we need saving Take, take it one step further. If we're good enough to be saved, hmm, then why would we need grace and mercy? You see, grace and mercy, by definition, the fact that God is saying, I'm the one who gives grace and mercy, it means that the people who get grace and mercy need grace and mercy. That's by definition. We're the sinners in need of grace. We're, we're the guilty in need of mercy. And it's not our goodness that is defining this. It's God's goodness. The idea of God's sovereignty would really be too much to handle for us if it weren't for this. He said, I'm showing you my glory. And what does this glory look like? He said, I'm going to show you all of my goodness. See, it's not just that he's the king who's in control. It's that he's the good king who's in control. He's the ultimate good king who's in control. See, God's sovereign grace and sovereign mercy are a part of. Of his holy goodness. 
God's sovereign grace and sovereign mercy are a part of his holy goodness. You don't get God's sovereignty apart from his holiness and his goodness. He's showing his glory, which is his goodness, and his sovereignty is a part of that. Jerry Bridges puts it this way. No plan of God can be thwarted when he acts. No one can reverse it. No one can hold back his hand or bring him to account for his actions. No one is God's judge. God does as he pleases, only as he pleases, and works out every event to bring about the accomplishment of his will. He goes on, he says, such a bare unqualified statement of the sovereignty of God would terrify us it terrify us if it if it weren't if it were the only thing we knew about God that God was the king and sovereign if that was all we knew about him and he could do whatever he wanted and he did whatever he wanted that would be bad but what we know is this God is not only sovereign he is perfect in love and infinite in wisdom it's his goodness And so God is now determined and promised to show up. But he's not coming to hang out. So he tells Moses, get ready. Get ready. I'm coming, right? He says, go up the mountain, right? And when you go up the mountain, I want you to cut out some stones. I want you in chapter 34, you'll see what he promises or tells him to do. At the beginning of chapter 34, he says, go cut out two new stones because you know that you broke the other ones, right? Those other ones you took down and you smacked on the ground. So make some new ones. And this time you're going to inscribe them. Last time I inscribed them. But God's going to reveal his covenant and his word again. But before God renews his covenant, before he reissues the law, before he reminds the people of who he is, he does what he said he's going to do. Moses said, show me your glory. God said, I'll show you my goodness. And God shows up. Look at chapter 34, verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Just like he promised he was going to do, right? He said, I'll show you my goodness and I'll proclaim the name of the Lord. Verse 6, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. Remember he said mercy and grace was what he's going to proclaim. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. What an astounding encounter. Moses said, show me your glory. God says, I'll show you my goodness. And then God shows up in the cloud. He stands there with Moses. Moses gets sheltered in the cleft of the rock, covered by the gracious hand of God. And God passes his goodness and his glory before Moses And and what does he do? He does exactly what he said he was going to do. He declared his covenant name, the Lord. He said, the Lord, the Lord. He declared his covenant name. He he declared his sovereign grace and mercy. Look at what he says in verse 6. As he proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God here even goes a step further than I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will show grace to whom I'm going to show grace. He He goes a step further than that. Because sovereignty could be a hard truth here for us if it weren't for this. Here we see God's heartbeat is one of mercy and grace, of patience and love. It's that God has a bent toward love and mercy, not a bent towards anger and revenge. 
The, the picture God shows of himself here is I get to determine how mercy and grace are poured out, and I'm being merciful and gracious by pouring it out. And I love to pour out mercy and grace. So he's not standing up in heaven shooting light bolts, lightning bolts down on people that are being bad, saying, well, that was fun. Because that's what I would do as God. As God, I'd be looking at our world and be like, zip, zip. Why? Because my heart is bent towards anger, revenge, right? What does it say? What does God say about himself? He's a God merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger. Can't say that about myself all the time. He's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. His leaning, his bent is towards grace and mercy. Mine would be towards payback. Now what we learn of God's faithfulness and his love here is that God demonstrates his goodness through his sovereignty. But goodness, the goodness of God also means that sin must be punished. The guilty must be punished. He says, I'm not going to let the guilty go clean. Or I'm not going to clear the guilty. But instead, the iniquity of the fathers will be on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. God in his holy goodness can't just overlook sin. But sin and punishment will come and continue unless God moves in mercy and grace. That's why we cry out for God's mercy and grace on those we love. Because they're going to remain in their sin for generation to generation to generation. Unless God moves in mercy and grace. So today, believer, aren't you banking on the fact that God is sovereign? Aren't you banking on the fact of his sovereignty in his grace and his mercy? That we're in good standing with God because of his sovereign mercy and grace, not because of our goodness. Because if it was based on my goodness, I would not be held in his mercy and grace. I'd have lost it yesterday and I'd have lost it three times already today. If it was based on my goodness. No, no, no. Our, our standing before God is based on his goodness because of his sovereign faithfulness and love we don't stand right before god because of our goodness and faithfulness because of our love we bank on his sovereign goodness but if you're listening today if you're watching today if you're here today and you are banking on your ability to be good you're banking on your faithfulness you're banking on your ability to love if your future is set on your ability and your righteousness today you need to Come in contact with just a little bit of the glory of God. You need to see the glory of God. You need to hear him. Maybe for the first time today, you need to hear him. That he is full of grace. Why is he full of grace? Because you need grace. You're a sinner who is worthy of an eternity apart from God. You're a sinner who needs grace. You're, he's full of grace because you need grace. You can't earn your salvation. You can't be good enough. He's full of mercy, he says. Why? Because you need mercy. You're guilty. The sentence is eternal death. We all stand guilty before God apart from his mercy. And his mercy means we don't get the punishment that we deserve. He puts that punishment on Jesus. He's full of faithful love. Why is he full of faithful love? 
because you need his faithful love. That he'll not only forgive you and cleanse you, but he'll hold you secure in him for eternity. Today, we all need to see the glory of God revealed. We all need our prayer to be Moses' prayer. Please show me your glory. We all need to see the fullness of the goodness of God, to find his grace, his mercy, his love, his faithfulness. We need to find forgiveness in him. So how do we do that? We don't have mountains to climb, right? We don't have clouds of glory to walk into. We don't have any of that to do. We don't have rocks to cut out so that he can give us his law. What do we do? How do we see his glory? Well, I want you to see today that the full glory of God is revealed in Jesus Christ alone. There you find his grace. There you find his mercy. There you find his holiness. There you find his perfection. There you find his faithfulness and his love. The writer of Hebrews tells us of the glory of Jesus revealing God's glory, that Jesus revealed God's glory. He says this, he's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of of his power. Even after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is the radiance of the glory of God. John tells us that Jesus revealed God's truth and grace in human form. John 1:14 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we've seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. We saw his glory. We saw the glory of God. Jesus himself tells us on the night before his death that his mission on earth was about the glory of God. And now he's asking the father to return that glory to him. John 17, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. I I did your glory here. I showed your glory here. And now, father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. He's saying, I had the glory. I gave it away. I laid it down to come and take up. All of the curse and shame. Now restore that glory to me as I give my life in the place of sinners. The Apostle Paul tells us that God has revealed his glory to the hearts of believers. Where? In the face of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Now that's, that's revealing glory, right? Darkness, God says, let there be light. Has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where? In the face of Jesus Christ. It's in the face of Jesus Christ that we see the glory of God. Even in heaven, the book of Revelation tells us that this glory will fill and light all of heaven. Revelation 21 tells us, And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And what's the lamp? The Lamb of God. Jesus. And the Apostle Paul? Apostle Paul tells us that Jesus is the one who has been given the name Lord. Remember what God said? I will show you my glory and I'm going to declare, proclaim my name, the Lord. Guess who has that name now? A name above every name. Philippians chapter 2. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. And one day, and Lord, let it be soon, (laughs) one day every human being will have to come to terms with the glory of Jesus. 
with the holy, sovereign, powerful, loving, faithful, merciful, righteous, and good glory of Jesus. Every human being will have to come to terms with this. So the question is, is today your day? See, see the picture there in Philippians is one day everybody's going to bow. Will you do it before that day? Because in that day there will be those who are under the earth even who are bowing. Who missed his glory. He passed by and they missed his glory. And I'm telling you, today is the day for you to bow the knee to Jesus as Lord. Today is the day to declare your need for his glory. Your need for his presence. Your need for his goodness. Your need for his grace. Your need for his mercy. Your need for him. That you don't want the blessings of God without God. That you don't want the blessings of Jesus without Jesus. He's paid the price for your sins. He's laid aside the glory that was rightfully his. To take up a cross of shame, of punishment, of despising. And he's risen glorious for you, gloriously for you so that you can be freed from sin. So that you would continue from generation to generation to walk with the Lord. See what happens is when God changes your life, guess who else's life begins to change? Your children and your grandchildren. When his mercy is poured out on you, it begins to be poured out through you. On your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. Will you call upon the name of the Lord today? To be saved. He has revealed his glory perfectly in Jesus. And what grace it is that he would even shelter us from the full picture for so long so that we would not be destroyed. So that now we can see his goodness pass before us in the person of Jesus. That's the good news of the gospel. Will you trust Jesus today? Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we sing now, even of your love for us. And your mercy and grace poured.